welcome to Real Men Feel. This is your host, coach and healer, Andy Grant. Thank you for joining us today as we venture into trying to make our dads proud, finding our way of being of service, shame, and making amends. The best tool I've experienced for getting clearer on your calling, your mission, your purpose, is an in-person healing called a life activation. Visit theandygrant.com to learn more about that. Again, that is theandygrant.com because you are worthy. My guest today is Tony Novello. Tony is a divorced dad, U.S. military veteran, and friend of mine who wants to help repair the fabric of the world. Tony talks about being a miracle baby and the sense of entitlement that resulted in. We discuss his attempts to make his dad proud of him, being a people pleaser, and the power in taking risks. Tony also shares his best advice for any man hitting their rock bottom. Let's do it. Hey, Tony, welcome to Real Men Feel. Hey, Andy, how's it going? It's going great. I've been looking forward to talking to you. We've known each other, I guess, over a year. We're both part of the uh, the Diamond certification process with uh, our mentor and coach and all-around leader of men, Jed Diamond, for the, for the past. That's how we kind of survived COVID in one of those ways. You know, getting to know you in that, hearing a bit of your story, I reached out and said, wow, would you like to discuss this on, on Real Men Feel? And you were kind of... Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> but, but eventually it became a hell yes. So I'm glad to have you here. And this is episode 250 of Real Men Feel. You know, a nice big milestone. And wow. what I'm psyched about is that just talking to a regular guy. It's not some big shinding. I'm like, oh, I got to get a celebrity name. or I'm like, no, this is what it's right. about. It's about just regular real men. When I say real men, I don't mean that someone that doesn't listen to this show or some amount, not a man. I'm just mean genuine, right. authentic men. And that's definitely what you are. And that's what you've had on your show that I've seen. So it's pretty cool. I appreciate being here. Cool. So let's just jump in. And, you know, one of the things that a term that stood out to me was uh, from your very beginning, your family called you the miracle baby. Might you tell that story? My parents were, were married for probably about, I want to say about 15 years before I was born. You know, I was born in 1965. So the, obviously the, uh, you know, way back when, uh, getting old, but the they couldn't have children. And so they tried and tried. And finally, the technology came about where you could actually, you know, go in and open up my, open up, uh, you know, my, my mom's ovaries and actually she could have a baby. And I was like, wow, they told that story. And I learned that along, uh, you know, pretty late in my life about how I was the miracle baby. You know, I was, they didn't think they were going to have kids. And all of a sudden they got three. And I was the first one out of the shoot. So, you know, I was, I was lavished upon to say the least when I was little. So cool. Did that stick with you the rest of your life? Did you feel lavished upon by life itself and feel like you were the king of the world or? <laughs> well, for, for a while, sure. Until, you know, uh, you know, I think probably around 12 years old, my little brother was born and, you know, when you're 12, you're coming into puberty and you're doing all these things and all of a sudden you're not the center of attention anymore. Right. And so I was the king, you know, I was, I was Anthony the king. I could do no wrong. And then all of a sudden the little brother was born and, and suddenly I'm, you know, going through puberty and having all these, these issues with myself and my dad wasn't there. My mom worked that wasn't there to, to really help me through that. So it was an interesting transition period, transition time, but yeah, for the most part, you could still talk to my mom today and I could, you know, I could call her all sorts of names. She'd say, Oh yeah, he's so great. 
you know, <laughs> like that, you know, she, something that stuck with me and it, it's impacted me over my whole life, you know, in terms of this king being the king and then not feeling like the king and not being treated like the king. You know, there's that feeling of abandonment that comes with that. And it's crazy, you know, because you feel entitled. It's like, I should be able to do this. And I should, I should have this and I should have that. And it's a, it's, it's a, that's not the case with life. Right. Mm. So, but there's a little growing up for me to do, especially as I transition to married life and father life, I realized, boy, I, I, I got some growing up to do because I, you know, I feel entitled. I think that maybe I'm mirroring the rest of the country sometimes, you know, hmm. That sense of entitlement, is that part of kind of the masculine identity? Like the, I'm the man of the world, was, was that passed on as part of that? Or was it more the, by being the miracle, being the, being the highlight of the family as a child? It was being spoiled, uh, you know, being the highlight of the family. I mean, we, my dad was a firefighter. He, did, he didn't make a lot of money, but he worked, you know, two or three other jobs. And he just lavished physical things on us, you know, lavished all sorts of, I mean, Christmas is like going to, you know, Walmart now, you know, and it's like you walk into your, your living room and it's like, wow, wall to wall toys, you know, and, and you come to expect that almost, right. You come to, I don't know, I'm not, I'm trying to think of an analogy, but it's like, that's just kind of, that's the way it is, right? Right. That becomes the norm. It's the, it doesn't feel special anymore. It's just what's supposed to happen. It's what's supposed to happen. It's kind of like, you know, my work is like that now. It's like, I get, I get paid quite a bit of money and, and, and it's like, I just keep expecting it every year. And I'm going, wait a minute, you know, someday it's going to stop. Right. And it's, it's an expectation. You expect to be, expect to have things. You expect to be able to just go and do something and have no consequences, I guess. I'm, I'm not sure. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a mindset that I've had. And it's, it's something that I've just started to become aware of in my middle, middle years, you know? So as a child of, of the sixties, did your, was your father kind of a man of that time? Was he kind of like the, the strong silent type, the, the John Wayne, uh, or did he, did he lavish uh, anything besides gifts upon you? Well, so it's because they were older, they weren't children of the 60s, so they weren't like flower children or any that kind of stuff. I mean, my dad was a World War II vet, and he was born in like 24, so they were depression children. So I think the way it kind of worked with them is that it was, we want the kids to have more than we did. You know, and so they just, it was like, in a way it was like that because I was right on the tail end. I'm a baby boomers stop at 64 and then it's whatever that, whatever is Gen X or whatever comes after that. And, and so I was, I was kind of on the tail end of the baby boomer era era where, you know, we were lavished upon because most of the, most of baby boomer parents were World War II and depression survivors. So I think it was more about that. He wasn't very emotionally there. The one emotion that he showed the most was was anger and rage. And I think it's because, you know, he kept things in. He wasn't, I wouldn't call him the John Wayne type, but he was in all, all you know, he was in all four theaters in the Pacific and, you know, he did all those kind of things. And and uh, I think there was some PTSD there that he just wasn't dealing with. So there's a lot of rage. You know, I think he was going through when I was born, which is, you know, you know Jed talks about uh, male menopause. I was born when he was 42. So he's already starting to get to go through male menopause when I, I was born. And then my younger brother was born 12 years later. So he was 53 or did I do the math right now? He was 50 something. And he, you know, I think he was going through male menopause and he was really, really, I mean, he was an ugly guy. Sometimes he was, he'd be, he would be very generous and he worked his ass off, but then all of a sudden, you know, it would be like a 
a snap. I remember he walked into my, my room one day and I had a pair of underwear on the floor and he just flipped out about it, you know, and I'm, and I'm going, what the hell, you know? So it's just, you know, I think, I think there was some un, unacknowledged or undealt with trauma that he had, you know, I mean, it's kind of the nature of all the, our problems, I think. Most people that I meet, they either model their parents or go opposite. So did you find yourself being an angry, rageful guy? Is that what kind of you were taught? That's how you showed you were a man? Or did you, even as a kid, realize, wow, I don't like that. I'm going to do something else. I think I went the other way, but not in a healthy way. So I went to, I went the codependent way. I went the people pleaser way. You know, I tried to, I tried to please my dad a lot by, you know, doing things like, so for example, I went in the, I went in the military to, so that he'd be proud of me. I didn't go in the military because I really wanted to go. I mean, I, I should have been a biologist or I wanted to be a biologist or, or an uh, environmentalist. You know, I liked the, I loved the military stuff. I, I wanted to fly. Um, and I ended up flying for a little while, but it was, it was, um, it was more about wanting my dad, you know, to tell me he was proud of me, you know, cause he just didn't do that. You know, I he just didn't do that. You know, I got all, a, all A's and a B in conduct. I remember in first grade and all he did was just scream and yell at me about, how I can't behave in class, you know? And I'm like, holy shit, you know? Did he ever say that? Did you ever get that moment? No. Hmm. No, he started telling me he loved me for the first time, like, you know, about two years before he died. Somehow it just didn't seem honest. You know, he was just saying it because he was starting to feel like, oh, I've got to get closer to my kids and, and all that kind of stuff. I don't I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he's, he mellowed out when he was, when he was older, but uh, it was really, we never, I don't think we were ever really that close, you know? after 12 years older. So he just, I think he just lost it when uh, my little brother was born, you know, not lost it, but you know what I mean? And so how did that affect your relationship with your children? It's, it's very similar. You know, I, but my first, my oldest, he's about 32. He and I are, we got very close because when I got married, I adopted him. He was three years old and we spent probably the first three years of my married life. I spent more time with him than I did with my wife because she was in school all the time. So I took care of him. And, and, you know, when we were dating, even, you know, I, I loved being around, he and he and I would have a good time playing cars and whatnot, you know, and my younger son came in uh, right when my work, my career, military career was starting to ramp up, you know, we, he was born and then we went to, you know, we went to Boston and then uh, to the Pentagon and uh, the Pentagon life, you know, was just crazy. The commute was crazy. The hours were crazy. And I started to just feel, you know, I was starting to feel like, you know, this is not what I, what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I wasn't aware of that at the time. I was, you know, I remember my older son asking one day I came home from uh, work and uh, I was just not happy. And my dad, he goes, how come dad's always mad all the time now? You know, and it, and it really struck me because I sat there and I'm like, wow, okay. I'm starting to emulate my dad. I think my dad, his later years of, of his, his firefighting career, he was, the, he was the acting chief. He hated his job and he would come home, you know, after he'd go out drinking with his buddies and come back and just be just angry at anything. And I, th I think that's kind of where that started for me. You know, so I started to feel inadequate at, at work, you know, so I think he felt inadequate. Did you kind of follow your dad's lead too with, with, uh, like, like using alcohol to try to like hide there or numb that not happiness or no, I, well, the alcohol, but not so much. It was for me, it was mostly uh, pornography, sex. You know, I started, I started going down that path of watching pornography a lot. I would stay up late, 
and play video games, you know, just to, just to numb out, you know, it got to the point where Lori would say, how come you never come to bed anymore? You know? And it's like, cause I don't know. I, didn't, I, I couldn't answer her that back then. Cause I felt like I was normal. You know, it's like everybody looks at pornography, everybody masturbates, everybody does this, everybody's that, but it escalated. I ended up having an affair later on that cycle. And uh, that really created some serious shit and angst in my marriage. So, you know, but it was, a lot of it was wrapped around, not being the king anymore, not realizing that I was, spe- or not feeling special. I guess that's probably the best way to say it because I was special. You know, everybody's special, but yeah, it was pretty tough. Yeah. That was a pretty tough time. DC was a hard, hard place for me. Was there one particular moment or event that felt like your rock bottom, what that got you to kind of start looking at yourself and heal the the trauma? Well, well, the affair was probably rock bottom, but it was more about realizing, you know. Lori kept saying, my, my wife kept saying, hey, I know you something's going on and you're not telling me. And I'm saying, no, you're crazy. I was gaslighting her big time. And I realized, you know, not at, not at that moment because I was too scared shitless, you know, because I knew that I was fucked up and something was going on and I needed, I needed help, but I didn't, wasn't going there, you know. And so that was rock bottom for me. And it, it was a long climb from there to where we are. I am today because I've been in recovery now for what, 10 years. 11 years, something like that. So what's that initial block to knowing something's wrong and not seeking help? Well, I mean, it's just denial. You know, you, I I kept trying to, I kept trying to deny that I had a problem, even though I knew damn well that I did, you know, I just like, why, you know, why am I here? I kept telling myself, even during the affair, why am I here? Why am I here? Even as I was doing, isn't doing the deed, you know, it was like, why am I here doing this? This is not who I am. You know, and I felt awful, you know, and it goes against everything I was brought up to be. I mean, I grew up Catholic. Can you imagine how much guilt and shame were coming and coming out of me at that point? Because I, you know, here I am, Mr. You know, failing the Ten Commandments, you know, and I, it was, there was a lot of guilt and shame that was just suppressed, you know, and it just took, finally, it finally just took Lori threatening to leave to, to tell her what had happened. And this was after the fact, I mean, this was a year after I ended the, ended the relationship with this person and, and. Yeah, it just it was just awful. The most awful part was that it's it's triggering her wounds. You know, her her mom was married six times. You know, and, and her dad left. You know, for somebody else. And so there's just awful, awful mesh, enmeshment between the two of us. And uh, and it just culminated recently in divorce. So it's just yeah, you know, it's it, but the but bottom hit uh, what thirteen years ago, fourteen years ago. And uh, I've been, it's, it's been a slow climb. So with 10 years of work on yourself, is that sense of guilt and shame, is it at least diminished, if not entirely gone? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the, the work I've done, you know, uh, in 12 step helped get me at least aware of what was going on with me. I still feel there are occasions where I still feel a lot of shame, a lot of guilt. I feel like, oh my God, what a loser. I couldn't keep my, keep my marriage going you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, you and I have talked about that and we've, we've talked about it in, in the class with Jen, but it has gotten better. You know, the fact that I, that I have people that tell me, Hey, you're a pretty special dude. You know, you, you know, everybody in our class, you know, and the people that I, I volunteer with. And that the key though, is that I need to feel special about me. And that's the part that that's the hardest work. And that's again, it's, it's a daily grind, you know, to sit there and say, wait, I appreciate everything I have in my life. And I'm a good guy. 
know what I mean? Telling myself that I'm a good guy is probably the hardest thing. Looking at myself in the mirror and actually doing it. Hell, it's even hard to even say it on this thing, you know, because I'm like looking at myself going, oh, what a fucking asshole, you know? But, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. You know, we, we grow up with this image of ourselves, and then all of a sudden it gets shot down and then you, you, you're trying to come back and then all of a sudden you, you screw up royally, like the, the affair, and then you just keep going. There's, there's this revisit of things in the past. And I think that's probably the key is the more you stay in the present, the easier it is not to feel shame, mm. guilt and shame, you know, just doing this podcast is a victory for me. You know, we talk about victories in 12 step and it's like, this is a victory. I didn't want to do it. I was scared shitless. I didn't want to get judged. I didn't want people to see me and say, well, who the hell is this knucklehead? You know, just some guy, you know, and, and it was, um, it was pretty cool. It's pretty cool to be here. Yeah. Like I, I feel like I'm saying it every show, but silence kills men. And you're speaking yes. up helps you like you're feeling better through this, you know, in the moment of this process, it's feeling better. And yeah. I know people will listen and like, wow, they'll, they'll be willing to, to share something with, with a friend, with a partner, with, with, with someone in their life too. And that's the magic of, of that's why I love having people come on that aren't speakers and haven't told their stories no. because again, it helps. This is, this is a beneficial thing for everybody involved. You never, you never know who you're going to reach. You know, you, you may think, wow, that, nobody's going to give a shit about what I say. Yeah. But the, the reality is people do, you know, people listen. So, and, and I'll, just to make it one more step of official. Yeah. Tony, you're a good guy. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And getting back to the shame and guilt, did you look at other people whose marriages didn't work? Did you look at everyone that was divorced and feel that they should be shamed and they were guilty of making mistakes? Or is there only you? So there's an element of judgment. I mean, you sit there and you look at people who, you know, were divorced and I would say, wow, what, what, what part of them was screwed up? You know, what, what, you know, what, what caused that or who, who they, who cheated on who or, or whatever. And, and uh, there was some element of judgment there, but in the end, now the way I look at it is I'm not alone. You know, it's, there's a lot of people out there that have ended their marriage and are trying to get something else going, you know, and, and right now I feel like I'm in a, kind of a holding pattern, you know, trying to figure out who Tony is before, you know, something else happens. So, yeah. And I miss my, I miss my wife a lot. I, I, uh, there's a, there was a lot of really good things that happened with us. And, and, it, and it, for me, it's, it's really hard to, to even, even ruminate on that because it's, because I, I just didn't think I'd ever be in this, this position. Mm. I mean, we were married for, we were married for 28 years. So. So one thing I know that has uh, been resonating with you lately and that, perhaps it's helping you find out who Tony is, is, is a charity that caught your eye. Right. Yeah. Charity, charity water. That it was part of our, our class together with Jed, the video, the 20 minute video that, that Jed showed just knocked my socks off and it, it just it, it hit every button that I have for service. You know, I mean, it, my mission in life is to serve others. So it's, it's when I saw that it was like, yep, that's a hell yes. You know, and charity water is a, I don't know if you're going to introduce it or not, but the, you know, it's, it's just a, it's a group of people. It's called the spring and they, and they gather together and donate to uh, charity water, which is a, a nonprofit organization run by Scott Harrison. And he is bringing clean water to, you know, everybody he possibly can. His goal is to reach 785 million people, which is crazy, right? If you think about 785 million people who don't have clean water to drink every day. So when I saw this video and I saw his journey, which was very similar to mine in a sense, you know, he had his addictions and he was doing his thing in New York. And all of a sudden, 
you know, he, he, he realized, aha, I've hit bottom. I've got to get the hell out of this and do something different. You know, and it was just amazing. I think not only is his, is his organization something that trade that pushes my buttons, but he pushes him because he's got that hero's journey going. I really resonated with that, you know? And I know there was part of it. You're discovering that part of your mission is wanting to be of service and kind of, right. and, and not, this, this came up in a prior conversation, not a distorted sense of service, like not going to service to please your dad, but going to service right. because it pleases you. There's, right. there's a benefit for you and there's a benefit for people that you, you impact. Right. And Charity Water is, is really out to change the world for the better. And I know there's an aspect yes. of it that seemed to resonate with you a lot about improving the lives of women around the world. Can you speak to that? Sure, I sure can. So I, I um, the best part of what he presented was just how, how you know, the, the women in Africa, you know, having to carry 40, 40 pound jugs on their head, all, you know, for miles to get to water. And then it's, it's crappy water, you know, in the process of them doing that, they're away from their families. In the process of doing that, they're getting mugged and raped by men on the, on the path because they know the women go back and forth all the time. And for me, it was a form of amends for all the times that I've objectified women, for all the times that I've, that I've done things that I just know that that's not who I am. Uh, especially now with the Me Too movement, I realized, my gosh, you know, we, we as men are really not aware. It's, it's, it's mostly a, a, a lack of awareness of, of the things that we do. So, and it was an immense to my wife, you know, I mean, I realized that, the, that I, you know, that I hurt her really badly. And so this is, it's an indirect way to make an amends to all women. You know, I can sit there and I can, and can help, help. If I can help somebody halfway across the world, you know, that's, you know, that's a, that's a pretty cool thing. To me, this is what proves your essential goodness, that desire to, to make amends, that desire to not just heal and forgive yourself, but to have it reach out to others, right? So are amends kind of the opposite of, of shame? Are they, is there a relation there? Well, I mean, you know, I was just thinking about that in terms of, you know, an amends is a is an action you take that really truly comes from the heart. You know, you can always say, "Hey, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry." I, I can't tell you how many times I said sorry to my wife, and and uh, you know, I thought, well, that's enough, right? <laughs> you know, but taking an action like this to to actually directly help people, I know it's just it's, it's right now it's just money, but it's but it's a it's a way of I don't know if it's opposite of shame. I think probably so. Or it's an admission that hey, I'm I'm a, I'm a flawed human being. There's no shame in that, mm. you know. And I can and I can help others to the best of my ability, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's right. Yeah, it's, it's bad wording on my point. It's not the opposite of, sh of shame, but it can certainly help to heal and, and lessen shame. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Most definitely. Mm. Most definitely. And you mentioned discovering your mission and really being aligned with Charity Water's purpose and their mission. What makes purpose important? Well. It's purpose and calling, right? It's a, it's, it's something that gets you up in the morning. It get, you know, right now I'm, I'm working, I, I support the Air Force. You know, I've, I was 24 years in the military. Now I'm a contractor, uh, consultant type. And I get up every morning going, oh, man, I got to get up and go to work. You know, having a purpose other than that makes, makes getting up in the morning a lot easier. You know, it gives you, it gives you that, that spark. You know, someone, I remember when I was taking a different class and, and I was talking about something and they said, wow, Tony, you just lit up like a Christmas tree. What is, do you, you know, I was talking about some other something or something else, but it was something related to my purpose, you know, to serve others and help mend the fabric of the world. And this is that, you know, this is, 
this is good stuff. I mean, I, I wish I could go out and start digging wells right now in Africa. I mean, that's and get paid the way I do now. <laughs> you know, so, but, but the reality is, is that um, as long as I'm focused on some purpose, what, what is it, what is it that I want to do? Well, I want to mend the fabric of the world. Well, there's all sorts of ways to do that, you know, and it's easy to get overwhelmed by the fact that we have global warming going on and we have just the crap that's been going on as part of this of COVID and Trump and all the things that are going on in the world. It's easy to get overwhelmed and, and it's, but it's hard to just focus, what can I do as an individual? That's the, that's the key. And that gives me hope, you know, that when I, I can, I can put my money towards something, I can put my time towards something and I, I feel better for it, you know? And, and that's really, it's, it's sounds kind of selfish, but it, it's, it's really how I get through a day. Yeah. Often say, say and tell my clients, like when something is from the heart, when good people being selfish is actually selfless, because we recognize that being of service, uplifting others makes us feel good. So to be selfish oh, in that respect, awesome. yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So if repairing the fabric of the world seems selfish to you, like, please be selfish. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Selfishness yeah. has a bad rap. It's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's got a bad rap from people that are not authentic, you know, not aligned with, with, with good things. And, you know, there's that lack mentality and needing to take from others and this you know, unnecessary sense of competitiveness, but, but selfish when you're, when you see that you're part of the world, you're part of a larger tribe of humans. I think there's a great benefit to that. I agree. Cool. You know, when we first talking uh, before the show, you talked about how, uh, you know, you had, you were right about being judged for, you know, being yourself and being seen. And you brought up my appearance earlier this year on this, uh, I forget the guy's name, Jesse Lee, somebody's show. Like I felt I had been deceived as to why I was there, but uh, call as I say, the call did not go well. I hung up, and then I, you know, his uh, his followers unleashed their fury on me online and stuff. And uh, in the moment, it it felt horrible. And you know, so I said, told you, like, thank God it wasn't like my first show or something. Like now, it, you know, I laughed at only only good good things came of it after all. Sure. But sure, is that. Is fear of being judged by people or even if it's more by, by men, by almost like by your dad, is that something that, yes. that holds you back? Is that what's been in the way? Yes, most definitely. Yeah, my dad, you know, a lot of times I could do no right with him. I think I've said this before but yeah, in class, but 99, I do 99 things right and, and I did that 100th thing is what they focus on. And it was probably, I, I kind of married my dad. You know, my, my wife, my wife was the same way in many ways where, you know, I, I just felt like I couldn't make a move without having it be challenged in some way, shape or form. You know, part of that's, tr you know, lack, you know, the, the breaking of trust for, on my side. So there's a, on my side of the fence, there is that, but even more so just the, you know, feeling of uh, walking on eggshells all the time. That was the way, you know, I used to dread five o'clock when I was a kid because dad, I knew my dad was coming home, you know, and, I, and you never knew, you never knew what, which dad was coming home. Could be the happy dad that had a few drinks with his buddies and, and, uh, you know, was out there and having a good time. Cause he, I mean, he really, he, he could be a really good dude. I mean, truly, but it was just the idea that you just never knew, which was coming to my, my wife was the same way. And I'm sure she felt the same way about me. You know, I come home absolutely shitty sometimes about work and just angry. And I imagine we, we fed off each other, but yes. Yeah. I have a huge feeling of being judged. Like I'm, you know, people are going to say, you're a fuck up, Tony. You know, it's hard for me. I don't, I have this fear of making mistakes, you know, and so uh, I, I don't take risks as much as maybe I, I could. And I'm starting to do that. I'm starting to, you know, 
kind of get out there. This is a risk today. Yeah. You know, somebody I know might see this podcast and go, Oh, I saw, I saw Tony on there. He was doing this and that. Was, hey, Lori, you know, she, he was talking about you and, you know, and, and it's like, you know, you take that risk. And so here I am. Risks are good, but I, I get what you're saying. Like I used to be terrified of risk and just, you know, stay in my comfort zone, even when my comfort zone was not comfortable at all. But at least, you know, the shitty feeling I'm used to is better yeah. than the one I don't know. And I've also found that nobody judges me as harshly as I've always been judging myself. Oh, I'm my worst critic. Yes, yeah. most definitely. Cool. So the more you discover that the rest of the world is not full of, you know, versions of your worst aspects judging you back, does, does that make stepping out and taking risks easier? Do you find that? It, it's easier to, t to talk to people in an authentic way. You know, it, it's a, I don't have to put the mask on. I don't feel like I have to put, I never had to put the mask on. I pose that on myself, you know? So, but uh, it's much easier to talk to people authentically. I was going to say, we talk about real men feel and uh, it's, it's a riot because if you, in the Myers-Briggs, I had a class when I was in the military and uh, it was me, it was, you know, a bunch of guys and maybe, I don't know, five or 10 women in the class. Right. And so we did the Myers-Briggs and I was the, so they, and they binned us, you know, they grouped us with all the, you know, I was, I was a, I was an EN, ENFP. So I was, a, I was one of the only guy feelers in the whole place. And it was kind of funny because I was sitting there with all the women. They were, we were all grouped together. You know, and I'm going, I'm a feeler, you know, and, and it's, and, a, and I'm an empath. I've, I've discovered that. And it really, I can feel people's energy. You know, and I think what triggered me about that guy that, that interviewed you was just the energy coming off of him reminded me of my wife, that black and white thinking that I'm going to trap you into saying some shit that you're going to, and then we'll, you know what I mean? It just, I worry about that. And that's the worry. That's the fear, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that, that's a big part of, of me speaking out because you're really realizing just because you're not like most men or all men doesn't mean you're alone. Right. Yeah. So there are plenty of male empaths in the world, but yes. all of them have been told at some point in their lives, don't do that. That's not right. Yeah. You're not being a man. You can't cry. You want to cry? I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Still got, still got that one in my head. <laughs> <laughs> you know, another thing I know that you've talked about as, as benefiting you is discovering the power of, of tribes, of, of a community. Yes. And multiple tribes. Yeah. Yes. Because you found one, you served in Iraq and you found a support there that surprised me. And I'm, I'm going to imagine yeah. that you know what I'm talking about. Do you, can you speak to that? You're talking about the, the um, choir? Yeah. The gospel choir? Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I started singing a little bit before I went to Iraq. I'm, you know, I got some singing lessons and I was put, singing in a barbershop quartet, which I didn't much care for. I don't really like barbershop quartet music, even though the harmonies are beautiful. But when I got to Iraq, I went to church. I was like, you know, I went out, you know, it's like, Hey, maybe I'll go to this service and see what it is. And I saw these people up there just singing like crazy at the gospel choir in the gospel service. And I, 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 I took a chance. Now, see, I was, I would, I went up and it was the, I was the only white guy there. And I went up and I said, Hey, white guy in the choir. And I said, Hey, would, could I, could I sing with you guys? And, you know, it was like, oh, my gosh, it was almost like, here you go, you know, and, and, they, and, they, and they pulled me in. And I had so much fun singing gospel music. And it's, it's you know, for me, it just, it just, it's the exact opposite of the Catholic Church. You know, it's this, you know, not this stolid, stoic thing. It's this, you know, just let it out. You know, you just, when you sing gospel music, you let it out, you know, and you're, and you're putting yourself out there. 
And the tribe that I had there was amazing. And the only sad part of the whole thing was, you know, everybody rotates in and out, you know, obviously they don't stay there forever. And then we had the end of mission where uh, most of the, most everybody left and just a few of us stayed. I think it was like 30,000 troops left uh, in 2011. And I stayed as part of the Department of State. So I ended up taking over the gospel choir. <laughs> and, I, and I knew nothing about music. And it was about five of us. And we ended up having to do karaoke because we lost all of our musicians and all that stuff. So we were karaokeing all sorts of different music. And it was, but it was still so much fun, you know, and, and it was still a tribe. You know, people came to the gospel choir because we sang. And even the three-star general who was in charge of the whole place would come to gospel choir to hear us sing. So it was a good time. Now, did you run into fear of judgment and risk-taking as a singer? Or was that, no, that was just fun and it didn't matter what anyone thought? I, it, it didn't matter what anybody thought. And, you know, quite frankly, the, you know, the three-star general who I, who I thought was a really awesome guy, he was like, you know, he would call me the singing singing colonel or something like that. I can't remember what he said, you know, and, and I'd see him running, we'd be running and we'd talk and, you know, it was Iraq was a different place. You know, there were a lot of, you know, warriors there, warrior energy, not, not warriors like warriors, but warrior energy. But they also recognized, recognized that, you know, we're in a danger zone. Before the end of the mission, we were getting rocket attacks every other day and uh, IED attacks and other things. And, and it was, you know, you start realizing that you, you've got to show emotion. You've got to let it out or you can explode, you know. A lot of pressure. A lot of, you, you could have a lot of pressure there, but that was a tribe that kept me from you know, going nuts, you know, it was, it was, it was an awesome experience. I wonder if, uh, to kind of wrap this up, is there one practice, a, a book, a technique, anything that's helped you that you would recommend to any guy that just feels like they're at their rock bottom right now? What's your best advice? Get in a men's group. You know, we, we don't spend enough time talking to one another and getting men's energy, especially if you're in, if you're for, you know, if you're, experiencing male menopause, you know, 45, if you're 45 to 65, there's, you know, there's, you know, there's shit starts, starts going wrong, not wrong, but we, our bodies start to change. Our minds start to change. Our, our chemistry starts to change. And you need to have other men to have them validate that and to say, Hey dude, you can tell us anything and you can feel safe doing it. You know, we're not your dad. Cool. Yeah. I, I could not agree more and uh, did not plan this, but I, yeah, I've, we're both involved with the Mankind Project, and I've enjoyed right. those groups myself, and I now facilitate groups at mensgroup.com, and oh, cool. the experience there has been uh, phenomenal, and just seeing the amount of new guys coming in week after week that, you know, taking this risk of sharing something, being open and authentic, and seeing the rewards, immediate seeing people's energies change, seeing their lives improve, super powerful. So yeah, so I- Yes, I, I could it, not, is, uh, it is totally awesome. Totally awesome. Cool. Yep. So, Tony, yep. I am so glad you took this risk. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm so glad that you're, you're, you're owning your good guy and, uh, and being willing to talk about it and share it with people. If someone wants to get in touch with you, is there any way you want to offer anything up or do you have a way to be reached? I'm on, I'm on Facebook. Uh, you know, just look me up, Tony Novello. I'm, uh, I'm there. And uh, that's probably the best way to do it for now. Okay, cool. Again, Tony, thanks so much for making the time. Everyone listening, thanks for making the time. I will be sure to visit realmenfield.org in the show notes for this episode. We'll have a link to the, the video about Charity Water that Tony and I first saw cool. and what resonated so much with Tony. We'll have uh, links to his Facebook profile if you want to follow up and share anything. Yeah, you're not allowed to judge him. If you're going to reach out, you better be fucking nice. <laughs> Support him. I mean that. Don't piss me off. <laughs> yeah. No, no bad dad treatments. 
Ashes. <laughs> so again, thanks everyone for joining us. Wherever you're discovering that real men feel, we would love your support, your subscription, your sharing, your review, your commenting. If you know a regular guy in your life that needs to hear something that Tony or I shared today, please share this with them, right? And if you're struggling, if you need that place, visit mensgroup.com and check out. You can do a free group and, and have an experience there and, and find out that there is a community, there's a tribe for you. Through it all, be good to yourself. <laughs>